0: You know that Keeley Companies is all about fostering the world-class culture through their incredible cultural pillars. Well, it was time to add a seventh cultural pillar, Keeley Green. Guided by the mission to raise the sustainability standards by which they design, build, operate, and live, Keeley Green is dedicated to using a holistic approach to leave a positive impact on our environment, create a future that is sustainable for generations to come, in the words of Rusty Keeley, we are just getting started. You can learn more about that just getting started mentality and all the work they do by visiting my friends at Keeley Companies online at KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary.
1: John is the number one national best-selling author of the book, On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host,
0: John O'Leary. Well, my friends, welcome to the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. Today's guest is going to be an awesome treat for each of you. So what I'm going to encourage you to do right now is to turn off the distractions in the background, grab your favorite Live Inspired journal, sit up. Get ready to take some notes, because today we bring on a gentleman who was recently named by Ford's Magazine as one of 20 speakers that you should not miss. His name is Jeff Henderson. He is an expert at taking the next right step when life is uncertain. And when is it not? When is it not uncertain? Jeff enjoyed a senior marketing position at a little restaurant. You may have heard of it. We live there. It's called Chick-fil-A. He left that senior level role to start a not-for-profit and ultimately to serve in a church. Through that service, through his leadership, through his heart, he ultimately became pastor and then grew that church dramatically during his time as a leader there. Some of these massive transitions in in his life and then many others that we're going to discuss during our time, as we unpack what they meant for him and what they mean for us, We're going to get a little bit of clarity on how to better navigate what's next for us. Today, Jeff's going to share the difference between success and excellence. He's going to outline both how to reduce risk and also not to be bound by fear in a season of change. That sounds great. And he'll remind us that although none of us have any idea what tomorrow truly has in store, there is reason for confidence, reason for hope, reason for faith that the best is yet to come. My friends, if you or someone you may know is facing a little uncertainty in life, and like I said, who's not right now, put your hand up high. This conversation is gonna be right on, right on time for you. So without further ado, I'm excited to bring on my friend. He's about to be yours. His name is Jeff Henderson. So, Jeff, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary.
1: John, I'm honored. I'm a big fan of yours. And goodness, thanks for having me on. And I'm so grateful to be a part of what you're doing. And sure hope we add value to your listeners today.
0: I just read a long bio describing who you are and some of the cool things that you've done in the past on the resume. But if I were to happen to seat next to you at an Atlanta Braves game, and we're sharing a nacho tray together, and I ask you, hey, man, what do you do? How would you answer that?
1: First, I'm married to Wendy, and I have an incredible daughter, Jesse, and an amazing son, Cole. And those are the three most important relationships in my life, other than my faith. I encourage people. I'm a, a heart an encourager. One of my favorite words is the word for, which is to be in favor of. And my hope in our time, if the Braves are playing the Cardinals, I know who you're you're cheering. But if the Braves are playing like the Dodgers, I know you're going to be cheering for the Braves.
0: Um,
1: I hope at the end of those notches of the Braves game, you would say Jeff's in favor of me and Jeff's for me. And that's that's ultimately who I, what I want to be known for. I
0: have a friend who tells me all the time, you know, from your parents, you either learn who you do not want to become, or you learn exactly who you do want to become. And you had the latter example. I follow you online now and uh, saw a post you made about your mother back in December of 2021, I think, where she turned 94. Right. And I'm just going to read verbatim what she said to you. She wanted you to pass this on to your friends. Here it is. Be kind. This is from your mom. Be kind. Be patient. Love one another and talk to Jesus every day. And then she added, you wrote, Sometimes I wonder if Jesus gets tired of hearing from me. <laughs> so let's just start the conversation today by you celebrating your mom. What did you learn from your mom growing up?
1: My mom loved fiercely. She's a small lady in stature, but oh my goodness, she loves her family. She was protective of her family and she had our priorities. She was focused on the most important things in life, which is her relationship with God and her relationship with her with her husband, my amazing dad, who passed away nine years ago, and then kids, and still to this day. She's, that's who she's focused on, and she's focused on the most important things that will stand the test of time, but she's always learning and growing. She loves to keep up with the times, and she can talk basketball, especially NBA basketball, with the best of them, but she was really focused, even to this day, on the most important things that, that will stand the test of time and at 94 i mean john imagine the changes that my mom has seen from she literally was as a little girl in a horse and buggy i mean that was literally horse and buggy days to picking up you know a small little phone being able to have a conversation with you know people around the world so the the changes that she has seen is staggering mm. but a lot of the fundamental truths and principles of life as she's always remained focused on being clear about, Hey, make sure that you're focusing on the relationships and the most important things in life. And, and I'll say this too, John, she is a ton of fun. Anybody who's, who's around my mom, she is a ton of fun. She's hilarious. And even at 94, you know, she prays every day and calls us every day. It's, it's, it's pretty remarkable.
0: I think she had a big old scoop of ice cream in front of her, a cherry on top of a spoon in her hand and this rye, awesome smile on her face as so she's getting ready to step in and celebrate 94.
1: For everybody who wants to know what, what, what my mom is like, just Google 89 year old grandmother meets Tim Tebow. And you'll see TMZ video that comes up. And this was you know, a few years ago. She loves Tim Tebow. And so this video, we surprised her on her birthday with an opportunity to meet Tim in his sister's house, uh, which Katie was so gracious to make this happen. That's awesome.
0: So that's your mom. Talk about your dad.
1: Miss him every day. My dad just, there's so many people in my life who didn't have a good relationship with their dad. And I, I just say, I'm sorry, because my dad was my, my hero. Now, the challenge is when my, when my dad passed away, that, that missing that voice really has been difficult over these last several years. So he was the most affirming, most encouraging One of the first things we did early on when I was a junior in high school, we started traveling around speaking to youth groups. And it was such a great experience, not just from learning how to communicate in front of groups, but just traveling around the state and spending time with my dad. But my dad, like my mom, was focused on the relationships. He never allowed work to supersede and cut into those relationships, but he worked really hard. He was a pastor and he was fantastic. My dad would just constantly say, I, "You know, I see you. I love you. I believe in you." And those are foundational messages that I really carry with me to this day. And uh, he was just an, an, you know, an incredible figure. And you know, when my dad disciplined, he would he would say something which was really cool. He goes, "He goes, uh, I'm not, I'm not mad at you, and I'm not disappointed in you. I'm just disappointed that you forgot who you are. Mm. You're a Henderson, and this is how we treat people, and this is how we act." And so those principles um, still stick to me, stick with me to this day. And just uh, just an amazing man. Sure, miss him every day.
0: I bet. Being the son of a pastor is probably not an easy job title to wear around your forehead all day long. What was the hardest part about everybody in town knowing your father and mother?
1: One of my earliest memories of church was sitting on the second row, kind of slumped down in my seat. You know, I've got my clip-on tie and three-piece suit because that's what you have to wear back in the day at the church. And my mom leaned over and said, Jeffrey, sit up, people are, people are watching. And that was the first memory. Oh, my goodness, as a preacher's kid, people are watching me. So you kind of live in this little fishbowl. And you know, preacher's kids really don't have a great reputation. But my parents were quick to, to tell me that you need to develop your own relationship with the Lord. You know, This is, yeah, this is your dad's job and this is the world we're in. But you,
0: know, you need to find a relationship on your own. So you develop your own faith. You also develop your own career path. You, uh, I think I read somewhere that you imagine yourself one day playing basketball for North Carolina as a Tar Heel. That does not come to pass, but you do graduate university eventually. What, what was your degree in? What did you do with it originally? So
1: I went to the University of Georgia and majored in advertising. Grew up a huge sports fan. You're a Cardinals fan. I'm a Braves fan. You had a lot more to cheer for when I, when I was growing up. But I didn't know that you could do sports marketing. I, didn't, I ended up just writing the Braves a letter and saying, do y'all have any you know, jobs or anything? And they wrote me back. This is before email, right? And so ended up working for the Braves and just fell in love. So what happened is uh, just, I'm leaving late one night, the Braves were out of town. So there's only two cars in the parking lot. I look over and it's Hank Aaron. It's Hank Aaron, the home run king and little old me. And Hank looks up and he waves at me. And I'm sitting there just waving, trying to be cool, but i am been in my mind, I'm thinking, Hank Aaron is waving at me. It was just, it was just remarkable. But the thing I discovered with the Braves early on in my career are the things I was really good at and some things I was awful at. And for example, the Braves had me sell program ads with that, you know, hey, Coca-Cola, would you like to put an ad in the Braves, you know, program, game program? John, I was horrible at it. I sweated, I stuttered, I just was not a good salesperson. And I came home and I was, I was telling my dad, I'm just not good at sales, I'm, just, I'm terrible. And, my, and here's another piece of advice my dad gave me. He goes, no, 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 this is actually a good thing because you've now discovered something that you're not good at, okay? So you might not want to be a salesman. That's not anything bad. That's actually good information for you to have. But I bet there's some things you are good at and that you do enjoy. And I said, absolutely. I love writing uh, TV and radio s- promotional scripts. I love uh, working with corporate sponsors. And, and my dad said, well, okay, fuel that because those are clues about what might be in your future. Ended up working at Chick-fil-A, managing all of their sports marketing. Well, that started really many years before that working for the Braves and understanding that world. You know, I think a lot of people now are trying to kind of trying to figure out how do, how do I figure out the rest of my life? Mm. And from my perspective, you don't have to figure out the rest of your life. You just have to figure out your next step. And for me at that point, it was just oh, the Braves have an opportunity for me to work in their promotions department. I'm going to go do that. I had no idea it would lead to Chick-fil-A and all this other stuff that I've done. So it's really being faithful and being a good steward of the opportunities. And the other principle I've learned is the path to your dream job often leads to your through your day job. And so many of my day jobs have led to what I'm doing now. Uh, the relationships I've had and the opportunities I've been given It really flows to where you currently are now. So back to your question, question, when I worked for the Braves, it was just, now the Braves weren't playing very well. There's nothing quite like winning to get people at the ballparks, right, as you all know. So, but I loved it. I love going to the ballparks every day.
0: You eventually leave to go with another global organization called Chick-fil-A. We all know about the sandwiches and how tasty that chicken is. What might surprise us to learn about Chick-fil-A, though? Like, what's... What's so surprising about your success as an organization that we, we had to know about.
1: So I'm really close with a lot of the people there. In fact, I was down there yesterday meeting with some of their top executives and it's just, just the humility, the humility of the people. Like if you and I were walking around and there was a piece of trash, I don't care who it is in the organization from the CEO, Andrew, Kathy on down, they're going to, they're going to run over there and pick up that piece of trash. Um, There's just, there's an others-focused mentality that we are for others, and, and they want to be known for being the world's most caring company, uh, mm-hmm. and, th- and nothing in that sentence, John, has chicken anywhere in it, and uh, the other thing I, know, I love about Chick-fil-A is they, they know that there's no such thing as a perfect organization. They know that, but they're going to show up to work every day and try to get better. And um, so in, in terms of being the world's most caring company, they, they genuinely want to care for people. Um, and I've seen that. I've personally experienced it. I've personally seen it. But the other thing I love about this organization is the passion for continuous improvement. I'll give you a quick example. When I was there 18 years ago, they, in every major market that they were in, the chicken sandwich was the number one in every single market by far. So you look at that and they, you would think, well, they, they've arrived. But there were a lot of conversations in Chick-fil-A that said, we think we can actually make this sandwich even better. Even though it's number one in all the markets, we're not competing with our competitors. We are competing with our potential. And we feel like we have more potential to serve our customers better by making a better sandwich. So they end up re-engineering the process uh, It's a tiered basket, which made the fillets larger and taste better and it was, and actually increased the the customer satisfaction. I've always remember that. It's kind of like when Tiger Woods was on top and he goes, you know what I'm doing now? I'm going to re-engineer my swing because I think I can get better. Even though he was number one, he was like, I'm not competing against these guys. I'm competing against my potential. And so I think for our, for our listeners today, you know, it's easy to compare ourselves to other people, especially with social media and I mean, your podcast is amazing. I mean, the, the amount of people that are following your podcast is amazing. But I bet you could look at other podcasts, John, and go, well, you know what? I know mine, but they've got you know a few thousand more. No, 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 no. We're not comparing other podcasts. So you, we want to compare your podcast to your potential. I want to compare my book and the things I'm doing to my potential. And it frees you up because there's a difference between success and excellence. Success is comparing your success to someone else's, and that defines success. Excellence is comparing yourself to your own potential. And when you compare yourself to your potential, excellence begins to arrive. You'll never hit that finish line, but you're not over here comparing your podcast or your golf swing or your chicken sandwich to someone else. You're comparing all of that to your potential, and that's excellence. And I've never forgotten that. And that's one of the things I learned from Chick-fil-A. But the thing I learned from the founder, Truett Cathy, I was driving him to a speaking engagement one night and he was just asking me, hey, how are you doing? You know, do you like working here? Do you, does Wendy like you working here? How is this, is this place making you a better husband and a better dad, and a better person? And I began to realize, John, that Truett genuinely cared about me. And that's how I, dis- I discovered his secret of how he grew the business. That Truett was more interested in the business growing people yes. than he was people growing the business. But that's how the business grew because he knew that if the business grew the people, then the people would elevate their leadership and their potential. And eventually the people would grow the business. And that's what happened last year. They did over $16 billion in sales. The other thing people don't remember, don't know about Chick fil A, is they're debt free, completely debt free. So, anyway, but if you got to know the people that I know, humility, but a passion for excellence and a passion for serving people. That's my experience at Chick-fil-A.
0: I love it. And I, I just want to make sure that our listeners and viewers recognize that we are talking about business and we are talking about Chick-fil-A and the Caffey family, but we're really talking about individuals living up to the fullness of their lives and comparing yourself to the reflection in the mirror. So I just want to make sure that we do recognize, yes, we are talking about a good chicken sandwich and selling more of them, but really we're talking about excellence, personal ex- excellence, becoming the best version of yourself going forward. You are at a conference, speaking of that, where you are going to be challenged to become an even better version of yourself. You're up in Chicago. You are with a buddy named David sellers Talk about what brought you up there and then talk about uh, the voice that you heard.
1: David was my boss and is still a great, great friend. And he said, hey, there's this leadership conference in Chicago and you want to go? And I said, sure. i never been to Chicago at this point. There's this is massive church. There's a food court in the church. So this leadership conference begins. It's just literally just blowing me away. One of the reasons I pursued business is because I was drawn to excellence and being in church world, I didn't really see that a whole lot. I saw that I saw nice, really sweet people, but I didn't really see people that were like, had strategic goals. And I just didn't think you did that in church. Long story short, That began a journey over the next three years of us getting involved in a church in our hometown called North Point, which is a very, in church world, very well-known church. Andy Stanley is the founding pastor. They eventually approached me to help launch a church in Buckeye, which was one of the first multi-site video church in America. And so we left Chick-fil-A to do that, and that was 18 years ago, and since then we've launched two other churches uh, in addition to Buckhead. So it was a, it was a crazy wild ride, but I, it's just, and again, it goes back to that. What do you want to do next? I mm-hmm. Doing, being a pastor, uh, it just wasn't on my radar screen. But early on, John, I thought this is the weirdest career move. But what I discovered is all of the experiences of the business world I had really, really helped me. But I'll say this, that for business leaders, sometimes in the for-profit world, we think that purpose is the exclusive rights of nonprofits. Like in the for-profit world, that's what we're about. That's what we're for, for for-profit. In the nonprofit world, oh, we don't like profit. We want purpose. But what I've discovered, especially in today's world, purpose and profit travel together. The more purpose you have, the more profit you'll fuel. And the more profit you have, the more purpose you fuel. And so I think it's a great thing if for-profit leaders can learn from nonprofit leaders and think about how can we create more purpose mm-hmm. i think it's helpful for nonprofit leaders to think like for-profit leaders and to talk about strategy and excellence and work culture so that's one of the gifts that i have right now and i've seen uh, some incredible success just being on the front lines of like a chick-fil-a or a North Point ministries so the
0: North Point Ministries, you brought it up, Gwyneth Church, you led it forward, huge numbers of folks coming by every week to be part of this ministry, big, big, big numbers, and I'm always more impressed by, like, the number one, just, like, love the one in front of you, and then love the one behind her, and then love the one, just keep loving the one behind the one, one at a time. I spent, and I, I seldom talk about this either as a speaker or in podcasts, but I spent three years as a hospital chaplain. Just part time serving kids and loving them. And if I'm being honest with you, and why not, in almost every interaction, I felt unworthy of the profound sanctity of that moment with a sick child or their parents, in particular, the dying moments or the moments after death. As a pastor, you have an opportunity of being on, you know, in front of these large groups of folks week after week as a pastor. But man, during the week, frequently you are in that room. And I'm just curious, like, did you always feel equipped to be in that room with these families?
1: No. And you always felt like you should have this incredible words of wisdom that flow from heaven to these people. But what I began to discover is that in in moments of tragedy like that, your presence is the greatest gift, not the words just being there and saying, I'm sorry. And Mm -hmm. just being, just being available. And, and, and sometimes I totally understand this. And I've, I've seen this, honestly, to be honest with you, I've seen people come in and they don't know what to say. So sometimes they say the wrong things, like, Mm -hmm. you know, they're in a better place, you know, that we don't want to say that. So I mean, we believe that, but that's not what you want to say. And I think just saying, I'm here, I'm sorry. And then being, and, and not, not asking, let me know if I can do anything for you. No, you just go ahead and do it. You go cut their grass. You go, okay, so the meals are coming on Tuesday at three or whatever. I mean, you just, you're in action mode because especially in tragedy, people can't go, okay, well, let me tell you what I need. I need you to go to my, no, you're just going to go do it. And so your presence and being proactive, we're just going to do stuff. Mm. And uh, and so that's been, that's been you know, I, and I'm telling you, I, I did this for 18 years, and I still get I got a call just the other day of someone who was at Gwinnett Church and tragic situations. So I'm even though I've left that particular role, I'm I'm still on call. But it is an honor to travel with people in in their deepest darkest seasons. But I would say this for those that are that are pastors that are listening: it, you've got to make sure that that you're processing that grief as well. You have your own personal grief. You know, when my I'll give you an example. When we were launching Gwinnett Church, my right between when my dad died, I had two staff members that were killed in separate car accidents. Okay. So I had two staff members killed. My dad died all within the span of about four months. That's a massive amount of grief that you're, you're leading a congregation and a staff through, and you're in the early startup days of a church, right? I, I I didn't know at the time how important it is to process grief. And I think eventually, I I just, I just began, I got about a year after this, I just got so sad. I just had to take 30 days off. I had people in my life surround me and go, okay, look, we need you to take 30 days off because you just seem really sad. Grief is a, because you, if you're not careful, you have your own personal grief, then you take on the grief of people, which is an honor to do. But if you're not processing that kind of stuff, it can weigh you down. And, and while that's true for pastors, I would say for business leaders as well, if you have a team member who has a tragedy as well, you're kind of in a pastor role, even though you might not see it that way. That way, I mean, you gotta care, you wanna, you wanna care for that person. So you're taking on some of their grief as well, which is an honor, right? But it is something for you to be aware of. And especially in the challenging two years, two and a half years that we've had as a, as a world, right? we we've we've all had some challenging days so i think processing that um, and understanding how that's weighing you is a really important because the best gift that you can give your church, organization, and the people in your life is the best version of you mm. and yeah. it's it's the whole analogy of you know you're flying and the oxygen mask comes down you breathe in first and then put it to the person next to you that sounds selfish but it's actually not it's actually very wise
0: Help us do that. So many of us today feel, as we listen to O'Leary's voice and your voice, Jeff, that they're running short on oxygen and they're running short on energy and they're running short on faith and they're running a little short on hope and they feel like things are falling apart around them. Help us practically put that oxygen on, on ourselves first before we start serving those around us. What are some things we ought to be doing as people right now?
1: First, there's a principle that says your life moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. And so what is your pace? I personally think this idea of a Sabbath once a week is, is brilliant. And that's something my wife and I uh, have tried to fight for. It's interesting. People always question Chick-fil-A taking Sunday off. And yet I think it's a brilliant marketing strategy. And it's not impacted. It's actually improved their business. There's just something about having a day off. So how how is your pace doing? And then, is there, does, is there anyone else on the planet that actually knows what's going on inside of you? And if not, the warning light on the dashboard of your life should be blinking. Mm. Because if no one knows what's going on in you, uh, it, can, it can build and, um, and decay your heart and soul in ways that you're not aware of. And a mentor of mine said, sometimes when you just say something out loud to another person, whatever that is inside of you loses half of its power over you because now another human being knows. And more often than not, when you share something with someone of a, you know, a struggle or, you know, whatever. So often people go, Oh yeah, me too. I, I, I know exactly how you feel when you I mentor younger married couples and they'll come in and they'll, they'll, they think that they have something that's facing their marriage that no one in the history of the world has ever faced before, you know? And so when Wendy and I look at them and go, oh yeah, you know, our second year of marriage, let me tell you, we, we can, and, and they look at us and go, wow, you too? You know what this is like? So in that moment, that couple walks away going, oh my goodness, maybe we're not crazy after all. If we, If they struggle, maybe it's okay for us to struggle. So I really think for leaders, we, we, we have to have somebody that we can trust that's on the other side of us going, okay, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you accountable. I'm going to encourage you, but thank you for sharing that with me. And, and typically this sounds, John, like, oh, this is something a church does. But before we started recording, I told you that a lot of businesses are having me come in to talk about emotional health because they've realized wisely so that a lot of their staff are hurting. Mm -hmm. and they're like, hey, we don't want you to come in and talk business strategy quite yet. We want you to come in and just talk about how can you be the best version of you, and that's exciting to me. It's also, you know, a little alarming that people are hurting so much, so I think your pace, um, who you're doing life with, who you are listening to, um, and if you've got a group of people, and then um, iron sharpens iron, which is another biblical principle. Who are you who are you around that's sharpening you? Mm. You know, Jim Rohn has this quote that says you are the the sum of the five people you hang out the most with. Which I, I at first glance I don't like that because it seems a little you know like oh I don't know, but uh, it's actually true. So who are you hanging around with, and are they influencing you? So pace, does someone really know what's going on inside of you, and who are your iron sharpeners? There's a lot more to that, but I think those are three helpful strategies to help us be the best version of us because the best gift that we can give the people in our world is the best version of us.
0: You spent 17 years as a pastor. You still preach from time to time. You've been doing speaking now for years and doing it well. How do you get someone to go from hearing a message, whether on a podcast or in a stadium or in a church or at a dining room table into movement? How, How do we as leaders, whether that's speakers, pastors, parents, encourage and equip those that we are guiding forward to not only hear what the next right step is, but to encourage them to actually take that next right step. So
1: my very first sermon, I preached at North Point. So I'm sitting down with Andy Stanley, who I believe is maybe the best communicator on the the planet. I, I go through my message. I think it's pretty good. And Andy gets to the end, you know, and he goes, okay, I have a question for you. When you're done, when you're walking off the platform and you're done, what do you want them to do? Mm. And to which I said, I don't know. (laughs) And to which he said, okay, you got more work to do. And it goes, because if you're not sure what you want your audience to do, they're clearly not going to know. There's there's the old preaching analogy that if if there's a mist in the pulpit, there will be a fog in the pew. And it was in that moment that I, I began to understand one of the brilliant strategies of Andy as a communicator, which is he's getting really clear here's the one thing I want you to do with this message. And not every message needs to have an action item, but you at least need to have a clear rationale and explanation about why this particular talk doesn't have an action item. Because most talks need to have an
0: action item to them. So in preparing for today, I listened to a bunch of your podcasts. I read two of your books and I also followed a few of your sermons. Randomly, and this is a total God moment, but randomly I found one called Holding a Grudge. I don't know if you remember it but you talked to you opened by talking about the second most well-known uh brand if you will it's a Coke symbol and the right. first actually the cross right and then you went through and talked about grudges and and suffering and struggle and and uh why do we hold on and how do we let go and then you you started sharing the story of a guy named Louis Zamperini i read that book years ago and so i love where you were going and then dude you brought him on stage <laughs> I did not see that coming, and you had this ninety-plus-year-old man sit down and read the letter that he wrote. The man who spent years abusing him, and after he finishes the letter, you reminded us the one thing: forgiven people forgive. Mm-hmm. Given people forgive. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, you're you're preaching on this idea of getting it down to one, but you are also modeling this brilliantly in the work that you do. So I just wanted to call that out. Great, great job. And
1: that was one of my highlights over that. So you know, I was reading the book Unbroken, which if if, if you haven't read, I mean, if your listeners haven't read that book, it's it's just remarkable. I'd not known, I'd had not had known of Louis' story, and then hearing his story and then realizing, oh my goodness, this guy's still alive. Right. I mean, he holds the record of being shipwrecked for i don't know how many days you know just floating in the pacific ocean but we were able to have dinner with him the night before and i mean Louis Zapparini was jesse owens roommate in the Mm -hmm. berlin olympic games that's kind of history you're talking about here right i mean adolf hitler wanted to meet him meet Louis because he was so fast it's just remarkable but the fact that he could forgive the the prison guard that you know, mercilessly beat him. Mm. I'm like, okay, I've never, I've never had that. And there's some people I need to forgive. So he, but he was so, so gracious with his time and um, just amazing.
0: You most recently have wrote a book called What to Do Next. When we pick up this book and read through it, the first question we're going to ask is why did he write it?
1: So two years ago, almost, I walked away from Gwinnett Church and it's a church I started. We actually had two Gwinnett churches um, and it was going well. By the way, there was a global pandemic going on. So who makes a career change in the middle of a global pandemic? But over the course of 20 some odd years, I've made some significant career moves. Some would say risky career moves, but there was a strategy behind these moves. And part of the strategy was reducing the risk, but not being bound by the fear and we felt in each, each situation that there was something compelling us forward. It wasn't that we were, for example, when I left Chick-fil-A to help start Buckhead Church, it wasn't that we didn't like Chick-fil-A. I mean, I was just down there working there yesterday, right? I was doing some work. It wasn't when I left Buckhead Church to help Gwinnett Church. It wasn't that because we didn't like Buckhead Church. We love Buckhead Church. In fact, just this morning, Wendy and I drove by it and just started having all these great memories of Buckhead Church. When we left Gwinnett Church, it wasn't that we didn't love the people there. We loved you know, the staff we hired at both Gwynette church locations. But we felt like there was a new season ahead for us. And when you feel like there's a new season ahead for you, there's always going to be risk. And there's always going to be fear. And how do you manage that? And so over the course of these 20 some odd years, I've had a strategy about how to do that. I didn't really know that. I just like, here's what I do. And then in the midst of this decision, two years ago, I had so many people come up to me and go, hey, I'm thinking about making a change, but I don't know if it's, you know, how do I do this? And how do you eliminate risk and all that? And and my response, I just started saying these things, well, you don't eliminate risk, but you can shrink it. Uh, Because, you know, it's not like you, you don't need to leap over the Grand Canyon with this decision, but shrink it down to a mud puddle. Yeah, you might get muddy and wet, but you're not gonna plunge thousands of feet below. how do you get wise counselors because who you listen to is a preview of the future you all these principles and strategies so i just started and people just kept coming out of the woodworks and i thought so i just started to ask them well what do you ask what are you doing what, what are you asking me you are asking what do i do next that's what i'm asking you what do i do next and i thought that's what i'm going to do i'm going to write what to do next and so when people ask me, what's your next book about? I'll say, do you know somebody who's trying to figure out what to do next? And they'll say, yes. And I'll say, that's why I wrote it, to help them. And now I didn't know that there would be this great resignation going on of 4 million people leaving their jobs every month, as we mentioned. And, and uh, But it's, it's really my story. The book begins on my last day at Gwinnett Church. The staff surprised me with an outdoor concert. Remember, this is COVID, so you know couldn't go indoors and they created a finish line because i told them i wanted to finish well so my wife my daughter my son was way at college um literally walking to this finish line and and then just my journey of grief because we we grieved having to say bye because if if you're going to if you're going to receive something new in your hands you have to let go of what you currently have and that's harder than it thinks i mean there's a there's um you know, there's a, I tell a story in the book where one day I get a really cool call to speak at something, which was a huge deal early on, just the first month I'd I'd left. And then just a moment later, I am on my knees sobbing because I'm just grieving what we left behind. So I hired a transition consultant, which is another strategy that I've had. And, And I said, am I losing my mind? Because on one moment, I'm like really excited. On the next minute, I'm crying. And he said, no, Jeff, the emotionally healthy person can hold joy and sorrow at the same time. Mm -hmm. So the reason I say that, John, is this isn't just necessarily, uh, here's 12 principles of how, how to do, what to do next. Although there are certainly principles in there, but it's also about what happens inside of you. And because wherever you go, you carry you with you. That's right. And, and so it's really, it's not necessarily a memoir, but it's, it's, it's part of my story. But as I share my story, I provide hopeful, hopefully some helpful strategies. We have, a, like, for example, uh, something called the Career Risk Assessment, which is on my website. It's just a free assessment that gives you a red, yellow, or green light. And it doesn't mean that you failed if you get a red light. It just means, whoa, 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 before you make this decision, you got a few things to do. If you get a yellow light, it's like, hey, you're making progress, but you're not quite there. Even if you get a green light, it's like, you know, you can leave now. You've done the hard work. That's great. But here's a couple of things to think through before you leave. We just want to help people make the best decision. But we also want to free them up to go, you know what? You're going to make the best decision you possibly can. And then it's going to adjust over time. And and there are so many things I know now and have experienced two years later that I didn't know then. Mm -hmm. But it goes back to what I previously said. You can't have something placed new in your hand if you're still holding on to the past. And this isn't a plea for people to leave to make a change, but it is a plea for people to know that sometimes the greatest risk isn't leaving. Sometimes the greatest risk is staying. And you just have to have the decision or the, or, or the wisdom and the, and the decision-making process to know that. So if you don't have that process, that's what, that's what the book provides. But you know, great story that happened early on, speaking of John Maxwell, I mentioned him earlier, I was speaking at a conference with John just a few weeks after I'd made this decision, I remember had left Gwinnett Church, and John said this, and I wrote this in the book, he said, you know, I never had a clear vision, but I just kept moving forward. And I, I mean, John, in that moment, I'm thinking, wait, I know that a mere mortal like me doesn't have a clear vision, but John Maxwell didn't have a clear vision and he just kept moving forward. So over the last two years, that's just what I've done in, in bad days when an opportunity I thought was gonna play out, now they're gonna ask me to do this, and it doesn't play out I'm like, okay, well, I'm just gonna get up tomorrow and just keep moving forward. And by keeping moving forward, it has led me to some opportunities that I never would have seen uh, without just going, all right, I'm just going to keep moving forward and figure this out. So that's, that's part of the this, this, this story. And there's, you know, oh, I guess fort- fortunately for me, John, there's a big market out there right now because a lot of people are quitting their jobs and trying to figure this out. <laughs>
0: well, and the ones who aren't are considering it. I mean, that's just the reality. A lot of us are feeling anxiety and unsettled in our lives. I read the book. I love the stories. I love the blueprint, underlined it like crazy. I had a million other questions asked you around it. Here's just kind of a walking blueprint. You're like, well, sum it up for us, O'Brier. Here it comes. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. Yeah. I think I said that three different times in the book. It's great advice. The book is called What to Do Next. So, my friend Jeff, we are running out of time here. We have seven questions that tether all of our guests together. We call them the live-inspired seven. The very first question is this: What has been the most impactful book you have ever read?
1: The Twenty-One Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. It just really helped me understand. Oh, I am a leader, and I can't. There's some things I can do, and I, and so it just gave me handles of leadership, which were so so helpful. So, it's a hard question, but I would have to say that one has probably helped me the most
0: what's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a little guy growing up outside of Atlanta that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. I would say I had a lot more confidence in myself as a kid than I do now. Sometimes when you get older, you know, life beats that confidence out of you. So, so it may be a little bit of a naive confidence, but I think if I could reinstill some of that confidence I had, um, Maybe confidence and less swagger as a kid, but uh, <laughs> a little more confidence than I had now. I think that would be helpful.
0: If your home caught fire and all living things are out and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item, what's the one thing you race in and save?
1: My Hank Aaron Sports Illustrated when he broke Babe Ruth's record. He autographed oh, Sports boy. Illustrated.
0: Very cool. If you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who do, who do you wanna be seated next to?
1: Well, obviously I'd start with Jesus. So, but that may be a kind of a disclaimer. Um, I would love to sit down with my fellow Atlantan, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And just, I've, I've been fortunate to be able to become friends with Andrew Young, who is a key person in the civil rights movement. So that's kind of as close as I've gotten to Dr. King. But I just would love to do that for a number of reasons, Uh, not just from a civil rights standpoint, but just from a communicator standpoint, someone who's fascinated with communication. I just, you know, that would be fascinating.
0: What's the best
1: advice you've ever received? So my first business mentor told me there's not a limit to what a person can do when he or she doesn't care who gets the credit and it's ultimately a test of humility and the principle here is um, humility comes before honor we all want to be honored we all Mm want to be recognized there's nothing wrong with that i don't think but the path to get there isn't look at me the path to get there is humility and to go it's not about me it's about you but ultimately that humility will over time lead to honor Mm -hmm. and so don't care who gets the credit, just do the work and focus on that. That's awesome.
0: What advice would you give yourself if you, if you could whisper a little at age
1: 20? Have a lot more fun. Don't take things too seriously. And I have a that's and I'm married so wisely because my wife, she's the fun Henderson. I mean, I'm, I'm so sorry, John. You got the boring Henderson today. She's New the
0: next dude. That's why we got we gotta cut this short. I want to have a little bit of fun today. <laughs>
1: that's right. She's a fun Henderson, but I just have a tendency to take life too seriously. And so, hey, lighten up. Everything's going to be fun. Laugh a little more.
0: Jeff Henderson, father, husband, son, pastor, author, friend, leader, servant. It has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like yours to read?
1: Well, if somebody was talking about me, what I hope they would say is that Jeff was in favor and Jeff was for
0: me. Mm. Jeff, you indeed have been for us and it has changed our lives, not only for the season but for eternity. It's a big deal and I'm grateful to be your friend.
1: Well, likewise, John. I mean, when I heard that you wanted to do this podcast, I'm like, John O'Leary wants to talk to me. Are you kidding me? This is amazing. So, I mean, you know, just what you've done and, and how you have overcome and the, the, the just, it's amazing. So. Thank you for letting me be a small part of what you're doing. It's it's an honor.
0: My friends, that is Jeff Henderson. He is a mighty man of God. He's a good friend and uh, he is worth checking out. His most recent book is called What to Do Next, Taking Your Best Step When Life is Uncertain. I encourage you to check it out. My name is John O'Leary and today is your day. Live Inspired. Well, when navigating what's next in life, oftentimes more questions arise than answers. That was one of my takeaways from today. Maybe it's clear and obvious to many of you, but that was new and important information for me. When navigating what's next in life, there's a lot of times in the journey forward, we're going to deal with more questions at first than answers. So what do we do with that? How do we step forward? How do we shut our eyes and boldly, courageously, faithfully step on and then step on and keep living our best lives going forward? Here's some advice Jeff also gave. Start where you are. Use what you have and do what you can. I love that, man. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. Whether this is changes in our relationships, changes in our personal life, in our health, in our career, in our financial situation, start where you are. Use what you have do what you can i also loved hearing jeff describe how his parents strive to focus on the important meaningful things in life in our over scheduled over committed world that's something that is sometimes difficult to do it's one of the reasons why last year we brought on christy wright into the live inspired podcast she's episode 394 because she's an expert at cultivating balance ditching distractions And prioritizing to you what actually matters most. If you want to learn more about Christie's work or that episode we recorded together, you can check it out right now, episode three hundred and ninety-four. If you have a tough time tracking it down, well, visit me online. I'm hanging out there right now. Visit me at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. One more time, my friends. It is johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. As we always do around here, we thank you for tuning in. We thank you for being part of our Live Inspired family, our community, our podcast network. And we remind you that the foundation is firm. The headwind may be real, but the best is yet to come. This is good news. So, my friends, without further ado, start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can for this time. And until next time, my name is John O'Leary. Today is your day. What a gift. Live Inspired. Achilles Companies. It is no secret that they believe in the power of people. In an effort to help their Achilles get to know each other a little bit better, they decided to launch the who do you know, campaign. The goal was simple. Keelians were encouraged to have a conversation with someone outside of their circle. That's it. These conversations, however, have brought people together and farthered their world-class culture. Shout out to the Keelians who have made an effort to have meaningful conversations with new friends. You can learn more about those conversations, about those amazing friends by visiting them online at Keeleycompanies.com.